Today's episode is brought to you in part by ExtraHop. Think analytics, folks. ExtraHop is the enterprise cyber analytics company delivering performance and security from the inside out. More on ExtraHop later in the show, but if you just can't wait, visit extrahop.com slash packetpushers to find out more. Heavy Networking by the Packet Pushers is sponsored today by IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers for over 65 hours of IT training for free. That's itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Building a network career is challenging under the best of circumstances. Between keeping the packets flowing and the lights on, there's certifications to pursue, problems to troubleshoot, and emerging technologies to grok. These challenges can be compounded by your location. If you live in a small city or outside a major population hub, jobs may be scarce, mentors and colleagues could be hard to come by, and opportunities to get your hands on new or different technologies and equipment could be limited. You're listening to the Heavy Networking Podcast from the Packet Pushers, and today we've assembled a roundtable of engineers to talk about the challenges of developing a networking career and growing your expertise when you're outside of the bright lights of the big city. Our guests are Phil Gervasi, Ryan Booth, and Eric Stover. Folks, welcome to the show, and very briefly, introduce yourselves and what you do. Tell us where you're hailing from. Phil, what about you? Hey, my name is Phil Gervasi. I am originally from Long Island, which is a suburb, well, pretty close to New York City. And I live in upstate New York outside of Albany, which is about two and a half hours away. So that's where I am now. And I'm a solutions architect for a national VAR. Okay, Ryan, how about you? Uh, Ryan Booth. I am a consulting systems engineer at Abstra, and I live in Amarillo, Texas. That is probably very top of Texas, about five hours north of Dallas. Eric. Hey, guys. My name is Eric Stover. I'm a network architect for a large Fortune 500 company specializes in manufacturing. I live in Toledo, Ohio, which is about uh, an hour south of Detroit, right on Lake Erie. Okay, well, welcome to the show, and let's set the context for the conversation. First, when we're talking about a small city or a regional area, what kind of size are we talking about? And Phil, you actually did some research for us. Well, I'm not going to say it was research. I basically just shot down in the show notes the first few things that came to my head. <laughs> but in thinking about this topic, I mean, for me, um, having grown up in a right outside of New York City, one of the largest cities in the world... That was kind of my benchmark. So I sort of define the idea of the small city or the small geographic area as anything kind of less than a million. And I don't mean a city less than a million. This is just my definition. So you guys feel free to disagree. But the city I live in, Albany, New York, is about 100,000, just to give you a number. Our metro area is about a million, but it's a large geographic area. So that's one aspect. I have some other ideas in mind, like um, uh, you know the, the nature of what companies exist in that area, how large that area is. You know, a million people over the Midwest might be a gigantic geographic area, as opposed to where I live in the Northeast. You know. Yeah, Phil. I, I think one interesting uh, kind of take on that is, uh, and I'll expand a little bit more about it. Is not necessarily the size, but the industry that's in the in the region. So. I also did a little bit of research, and uh, in at least specifically in Ohio, if if you look at the percentage of jobs in Ohio, nearly one fifth of all jobs are manufacturing jobs in Ohio right now. So mm-hmm. not a lot of opportunity in there for for at least IT jobs. Mm, good point. Yeah. And Ryan, you said Amarillo. What in terms of size or population, or you know, location or proximity to a large city like Dallas? What are we talking about? Yeah, sure. So Amarillo is probably about 200 to 250,000 in population. Um, and that covers, you know, a, a pretty large area because Amarillo is a pretty small town. 
but then the area we're in is kind of farm area. So there's a lot of dispersed little tiny cities across the, the whole region. So that can, that number can get up there, you know, probably 300, 350, maybe, but you're talking, that's probably a two hour radius around us. So um, myself, I did absolutely no research on this. So <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, around that size and probably five job postings total in a year for <laughs> this type of field. For technology. Yep. Wow. <laughs> when I first came up with my CCIE, I was working in a town of less than 500,000 people. And uh, for some reason, there were six CCIEs in town. And let me assure you, there wasn't room for that many people in town. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys have like a showdown in the center of town? Like there's not enough room for, for all of us here. <laughs> Especially when four of them banded into like a, a gang. We can tell history is written by the winners. <laughs> but the okay. population number, I mean, that, that might seem like a trivial thing uh, aspect, but I, I really believe that it's, it is kind of a critical component of it. Because if you think about like a critical mass of people to support large industry, which is kind of how a lot of people in the industry and in networking industry define like where the large organizations are where and therefore where the cool projects and cool networking jobs are. Y you really do need that critical mass of people. So, you know, when Amazon was looking for where they're going to put their headquarters, they weren't like, we're going to go to Syracuse, New York. I mean, that wasn't even a thing. In fact, I think there was an Onion article about, all, you know, locating into Albany. I don't know if anybody saw that. And it was a big goof because we're a bunch of, you know, we're a small town. So I think that the number factor, though it's not critical, and there's also there are plenty of other elements to discuss. I think that is important. I'm just amused by what you guys think small towns are. You're all describing these cities that you're in. I live in rural New Hampshire. There's 3,500 people in my town. <laughs> so and and so the joke there is there's never an IT posting where where I live. I would commute. I'd have to go to an actual city where the uh, the jobs were, as you guys are saying, because you've got to have that mass of people to drive that. Uh, that sort of work. So, so how many CCIEs in your, in your town, Ethan? Well, I let mine expire. So we're probably back down to zero. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good CCIEs you got to watch out for though. <laughs> it's a rumble. Yeah. Ethan brings up a good point. So in the intro, uh, I think I said I lived in Toledo. As a matter of fact, that's a lie. And I should apologize for that. But uh, I actually live in a small city, almost uh, an hour and 15 minutes outside of Toledo. And I commute about 75 mm. miles a day. Uh, so uh, I actually it, it just quickly doing a quick head count. I can, I can count how many IT jobs there are in my city. And the largest IT employer in my city is the school district. So, mm -hmm. uh, right. no, there's a, a, a couple of manufacturing plants, but most of the time, you know, IT is centralized or, you know, uh, they have like one or two per people working in the plant. But I know for a fact that the, the school district has four IT people uh, employed. So, yeah, so that leads into, uh, I think, one of the issues we want to talk about is th the challenge of trying to build a, a technology career when you're outside of a major population center is just the number of job opportunities. They there may not be very many. If there are some, they may be concentrated in an industry like education. Mm -hmm. And where I live, uh, Albany is uh, state government. So there are some large data centers in my area, but they're state government, which is a different animal to go work for the government. And you know, you, and all that that means. 
but it's also, um, uh, you know, the, the specific positions are not that many, even though the data centers might be huge and the networks are huge, they outsource so much of that. So, and then they fly people in from outside the area. Um, so, you know, there, there, are, there are always exceptions, right? We also have General Electric, one plant, but I did some consulting work for them and it, it was much, you know, less sophisticated than I expected. So, uh, yeah, there are challenges in finding those kind of higher level jobs that also pay more. You know, th- and I think that there might be plenty of jobs. It's just that, you know, let's clarify that, you know, give some color to it. We're probably talking about kind of higher level networking jobs that pay more, that are more interesting that we want to do. Right. Right. As opposed to being just a generalist, you're saying. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I know some higher level generalists, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, Drew. I mean, as as opposed to being kind of like a mid-level network engineer going around, you know, changing uh, you know VLANs on switch ports all day. You want to get into some more sophisticated projects, maybe emerging technology. That's a that's hard to come by in my area. Yeah, and and for me around here, um, you know, it it goes a little bit broader um, because yes, those those opportunities for your senior level engineers or your architect type people they come few and far between. I mean, you see those jobs maybe once every four to five years. pop up. But for everything else, you know, those, you might see a couple of those jobs pop up here or there within a year, but you're expected to walk in, you're expected to be able to handle the VLANs, be able to mount APs. You know, next week you're going to stand up a IDF closet or specifically work on servers. So you're not necessarily a specialist. So job opportunities, that's one challenge. What occurs to me is another challenge might be just the fact that there aren't that many people doing what you do. You, You may not get that kind of peer engagement that you'd want to have where you there's somebody you can talk to to get questions answered or just sort of do the shop talk. Absolutely. That was a big one for me. So a little bit about myself. When when I first um, finished up school for IT, I couldn't get a job here in Amarillo to pay around what my family needed me to bring home. So we moved and we relocated to Oregon, lived there for a while. And then when we came back, I had already gotten into the social game. I drank the Kool-Aid of needing to do a blog and Twitter and all that fun stuff. And I really started seeing a ton of benefits from it in that area. And when I came back to Amarillo, there was none of it, literally nothing. There was no (laughs) communication. Everybody kind of stayed off in their own siloed little corners. No one really talked to each other. And the more I'd reach out to people, the more silence I'd get from everybody. And it, Mm -hmm. it it was hard getting that communication. And even talking to other teammates and things like that, there, there, that just wasn't built in naturally. Yeah, where I live, there aren't any, um, you know, end user groups like, uh, you know, I, I on Twitter I'll follow. Uh, there's Chinog and Bosnog and Boston, New York Nog, all the VMugs, all those things that are going on, they don't happen here. And I, you know, every once in a while somebody tries to start something, but there's like two people that show up. You offer free pizza, you'd think people would show up. <laughs> Nobody shows up. There just aren't enough like actual number. And I, I hear what you're saying, Ryan. I mean, that uh, I've experienced the same thing where I am. And, and I have a lot, of, a lot more people in my area. People just look at you weird. And if you look through kind of the social media thing, who's active in your area, is, there's almost nobody in my area. You know, I know, you know, if you start to stretch out, the, there's one person, two people in Syracuse, maybe a couple people in Western New York. And then, you know, it explodes once you get down to New York City. I, I experienced the same thing. What about if? What about fear of losing those jobs? The flip side of not being very many jobs is that you've got nowhere to go. So if you lose that job, you've got nowhere else to just like in a capital city, or like when I transferred from Brisbane, which is a reasonably small but major city in Australia, to London. I went from, you know, as you said, a few jobs a year would become available to. I could pick and choose who I wanted to work for and how long I wanted to work for and how much I could charge. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're dead on on that one. Um, I noticed that as one of the bigger ones that I face around here. And I have seen and talking to other people in other areas, I hear the same thing because there is that fear that if you're associating and you're talking with the other people, you're giving them knowledge and you're building them up so they could take that next job that pops up in three years. You know, that's the thing is if you're looking to move up and you're looking to change jobs in a smaller city, it's not something that you could just proactively do for a couple months and then you move. You have to get yourself ready and then hopefully within the next two to three years, something's popping up for you if you're staying local. So that, that is definitely one of those things that I've, I've noticed a ton. And something to remember is that in a smaller area, everybody knows everybody. Um, and so in my area, you know, every time I come across a new a, a network engineer I haven't met, one of the first things that we find in common is, oh, you worked for so-and-so, so did I. You know, everybody sort of started their career with the same company, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, we all spent our time on the help desk for XYZ company. And, you know, wh- when you're looking for that, uh, that next opportunity, it's usually a, it's a boss that you used to have or somebody that you know through somebody <laughs> So something that, you know, I wanted to bring up later, but I think is uh, appropriate for now is that character counts. I mean, character counts no matter what, right? You always want to be a person of high caliber character, but especially in a smaller city, you you need to stay above board and don't burn any bridges because, uh, you know, you're going to come across all those same people again. You're saying if you leave a job, there's no opportunity for dramatic exit in a small city. <laughs> it's hard to rage quit when there's 100,000 people in your area and the next guy is like, yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. Yeah, one thing that I've experienced is normally, at least for a, like a network engineering person, you know, you're still a few connections away from like the CIO in a bigger company. You know, you could be a few director levels below, but in a small in 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 a smaller uh, market, you end up making those connections and you end up being closer to the CIOs and the directors and the decision makers. So mm-hmm. uh, like Phil said, you, you really have to kind of curate your, your brand and your image a little bit more in, in the, in the smaller markets because you're more closely connected to the kind of the higher ranking type uh, decision makers in, in, in the IT structure. Yeah, that's a good point actually, because there, there's a pro and a con there. The, I'll start with the con. The con is that the, the, the organizations are smaller. So the hierarchy is smaller and you're closer to the CEO, CIO, so that therefore there is less opportunity for training sometimes. There's, maybe there's no budget. Um, I've also seen that, you know, of course, there's exceptions. It's a smaller company, family field. They want to do what they can to keep you. But generally, the, the organization is smaller, fewer resources. You know, in my area, there isn't even a, you know, there's only one Pearson View Center. If the exam isn't available at that time, I have to go, or when I want it, I have to go drive an hour and a half or two hours. So the resources are fewer. But at the same time, you know, you do have that connection to the C-level or at least to the upper management um, because the organizations tend to be smaller. And I, and I, and I do appreciate that. I've, I've liked working for those smaller kind of family feel uh, companies. Yeah, that's going to get into the sort of the upside of this, which we'll touch on a little bit later. We'll be back to this podcast shortly, but we're going to talk about ExtraHop, a Packet Pusher sponsor, first. Your job probably includes managing applications, network infrastructure, and so on. But how do you do that when you can't even see everything those apps are running on, when half the network the app is running across isn't even yours? Add to that SDN changing things in automated ways that maybe feel out of your control, or devs and other business units firing up their own cloud instances and then expecting you to support it even though you've got zero instrumentation. These scenarios are some of the ways that ExtraHop can help. ExtraHop is a leader in network analytics, and they help you consolidate tools into their analytics platform and make sense of application performance running over infrastructure that's sprawled beyond your data center and across the internet and then into 
cloud. ExtraHop offers complete visibility and leverages machine learning to help you make sense of the mountain of metadata about your network and in the end, make informed decisions about your IT stack and do it quickly. If you go to extrahop.com slash packetpushers, you can find out more about the ExtraHop performance platform. Once more, that is extrahop.com slash packetpushers. And now, back to the show. I wanted to talk to you guys about training opportunities when you're in, if, if you're not in Chicago and New York and LA or whatever, uh, how, and you want to increase your skills, up, up your abilities, where do you go? How do you do that? I don't yeah. think that I've ever attended a training in person in my career. I mean, did my undergrad and stuff in person, obviously, but uh, actually half of it was online, but I've never, never in, taken an in-person class. Uh, and I'm sure they're probably offered in the Detroit area, pretty a pretty thorough catalog, but uh, every training that I've taken, uh, I don't even know if I'd want to take an in-person training at this point. So mm, that's a good point. In my area, there's one uh, New Horizons Computer Learning Center, and uh, so they they offer in-person training classes there. But the demand for higher-level training is so low that there it is very rare that there is a course that I'd even be interested in. I think the standard is, and this is probably the standard for the industry and for all of us, is just video on demand and what's online. Hopefully, the organization that we're working for is, you know, providing something. Uh, if not, you got to do it on your own. That's kind of, it goes to me, it goes without saying that if you're working in a smaller city, smaller area, um, and you want to improve yourself, you want to go up in your career, you have to kind of take ownership of that and and find those opportunities. And, and for a lot of us, it's video on demand. It's online resources that are low cost, free, you know, things like that. One thing uh, that I wanted to bring up too when I was looking through the notes that I don't want to lose is uh, a lot of times in smaller markets, we've seen this in the Toledo area, is um, the universities, because of the market, are, are building their programs to, to kind of cater to the market. And, and what we've seen uh, at the University of Toledo, they didn't even offer like a cybersecurity program or you know any, any coursework on cybersecurity. So mm-hmm. it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy where there's no jobs in the market and there's no, uh, you know, formal education to get people trained in the, in that. So, you know, I think the, I think the more these like secondary schools, the, the colleges start to offer some of these, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity programming, you know, information technology jobs, I think it becomes, you know, more acceptable in the workplace and more available in the workplace. I think things are changing there though. We've seen, the emergence of self-training. So you look at the, the you know, the IT Pro TVs, the plural sites, or mm-hmm. you know, Riley Safari. You know, when I first started out in training, I had to fly six hours on a plane flight to another town to sit through the training courses, which were pretty awful. Let's face it, like Cisco training courses aren't, uh, you know, your, your, your first early level Cisco training courses, if you've been a professional network engineer for five years, don't offer a whole lot of challenges. You know, there's a whole bunch of questions that are in the training courses that you have to answer, That what I call the trivial pursuit of certification, which is fine. That's the process. You just have to buckle under and suck it up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the same for all the certifications. They all end up trending towards trivial pursuit exercises rather than giving you practical knowledge. But I had to fly and then stay in a, in a hotel in a, in a town. And so it wasn't just the cost of the courses. It was the cost of the travel and the accommodation and mm-hmm. the time of work. But now you can go and do online training and train yourself. I think there's a real transition there where once upon a time, the only training you could have involved being in a classroom 
And now you can do it all yourself in your own time at your own pace if you're motivated enough and keen enough. So you can actually be in a small town and become a big player. I mean, you guys are on this podcast because you are big players. You speak up, you blog, you, you share your knowledge, you have turned up in big companies. And that's because self-paced training has let you appear. Is that a, a fair statement for all of you? Oh, Greg, you're flattering me. I mean, continue though. Please go on. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't stop. No, that, that's that. That's me to that's that's nailed me down perfectly because after my CCIE and running that course, you know, I took on that. You know what? I wanted to jump into the automation and the DevOps world and you know whatever that meant and dig down that path. And as I was moving through all of that, I realized, okay, I need to start getting a, a true CIS background. I really need to start learning the proper way to develop code, how to actually work with applications, things like that. And yes, we're, we're lucky here where we got a local community college that has a, you know, an associate's program for that type of thing. We also have a, um, an extension of A&M that's close by in a smaller college city that has a four years, you know, CIS degree you can go for. And I, I weighed those options and I looked at the classes and what it would take. And it was relatively inexpensive. It was something I could pay myself. But for me, three kids and a family and a you know, a pretty busy career. It was like, okay, no, no, the, the training options online are way better. Mm-hmm. So I was able to find like some of the online free MIT courses to run through some of those basics and those entry level stuff right. and really right. get me started. And I was able to do all that for free. There's a catch 22 to this whole thing though. So as much as I agree with you, Greg, and I want to unpack that more in a bit, uh, this concept of, of owning your own education. That's, I'm very passionate about that. But the catch-22 is that you come back and you finish up your second CCMP, you're working on your CCIE, and then you go back to your cubicles configuring switch ports because that's the only job that you can get in your area. So there is this, um, there is this I don't want to say a dichotomy, but there is this chasm sometimes between what we're striving for and what we can consume, uh, especially in 2019 uh, through these online resources, and then what we get, get to actually do. And I think that's the crux of the argument is that here we are in a smaller city how do I advance both with sophisticated networking jobs and, and in income? Uh, you know, I, yeah, we talked about the training part, but now how do I actually do it? That's tough. Right. If there's no demand for that, if the biggest employer in the market is K through 12 and they just need you to be there to, you know, make sure the laptops connect to the AP and you're blocking the kids from getting to the porn, that's, <laughs> that's not a long-term enjoyable career. And there's a few of those jobs. Don't get me wrong. They're just fewer. Uh, you know, obviously the, the hospital, that's 10,000 end users in my area. And there's a couple of them, you know, th- there's a need for that. Yep. They have yep. 50 sites, but their networking team is two people. Right. And right. if one of them is not leaving or retiring or whatever, that's it. Not available. Yeah. And that, you know, that was one of the biggest concerns when me and my wife were looking to move our family back into Amarillo. I had already um, progressed my career. I had several CCMPs. Um, I was probably a good junior level engineer with about five years experience. And I was looking at the job field and the various companies in Amarillo doing research on them. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to outgrow every single one of these companies in the next five years at the pace I'm pushing myself and the pace I want to grow, which I think is key there. How much do you want to grow? And so I had to figure out, okay, I, I really got to double down on social media. Um, I really got to get to know more people outside of the Amarillo area. And I really got to know everybody inside the Amarillo area just to make sure I can progress myself and, you know, keep feeding this, 
this addiction, I guess. This addiction. <laughs> what you're talking about, Ryan, what you're talking about, Ryan, is the solution, or at least one aspect of the solution. So we have kind of a problem statement. I live in a small city, can't progress in my career as much as I want to. So what do I do? You know, Greg talked about you need to get your get off your butt and get some online training done. You know, learn and grow on your own. And what I what I preached regularly to my students, because I taught at a, a local community college in my area for for a while. I always taught them, or I say taught, but I was on my soapbox about this and said, you got to own your education. You're going to graduate. You're going to get your associates. You're going to get your bachelor's degrees. And then no one's going to care after that. And I don't mean no one. Obviously, you're, you know, your spouse, your kids, people care. But ultimately, you know, the, the school's not going to keep pushing you once you graduate. Nobody, nobody from INE or CBT Nuggets is going to come down and say, what are you doing today? You should be <laughs> studying. You need to own it and internalize it. Maybe that's a mixture of motivation and discipline. You know, I don't know. But that's one aspect of the solution is is getting off your butt and learning those skills that, you know, you're going to use once you do land that higher level job. So how do you land that higher level job? And Ryan, you're talking about, you know, getting onto social media, maybe starting that blog, getting on Twitter and Reddit to a lesser extent, um, joining a Facebook group, all those things. So you can get plugged in with those folks that are doing those jobs, because I think all of you guys here know of the opportunities that arise once you get plugged into the community. Well, I was going to ask because the the upside of self-directed training, like watching free courses from IT, is that you can learn and if you're self-directed and motivated, you can gain that knowledge. But how do you translate that into a job where letting folks know that you actually have that knowledge or capability if it's not something you're doing day to day? And it sounds like you would say one of those answers is get in the community, start blogging, start putting your own name out there. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I like to I like to tout and brag about you know my last two jobs the one I'm in currently and the one before well I guess that is my last two if you do the math <laughs> I don't know if I can do the math up to two Ryan that's that's pushing it I I've gotten both of those careers from social media this one right here that I have is is from Twitter and my connections that I had into the, and starting those conversations there and then letting them progress the one before. I had known several guys from um, some forums online that we had known each other for quite a while. And we had finally met up at Cisco Live. We started talking. And the next thing you know, I'm having beers in an interview with his boss. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't necessarily have to do this massive amount of promotion of yourself and saying, look at me, look at me, I'm awesome. It's knowing the right people. And it's being in those conversations. It's having those relationships over a long period of time. And I think that goes way beyond just small town. I think that's career in general for everybody. Yeah. Good point. That's a good point. Does, does that resonate with you, Eric? Yeah. I, I, w- I was going to say, um, you know, the, all, a lot of the opportunities that I've had, uh, you know, to, to come on packet pushers, uh, to, to do some of the tech field day events, to network with a lot of folks at, uh, you know, Cisco live is strictly because I've been, been willing to put myself out on Twitter, on blogs, you know, chat with people on LinkedIn, um, li- uh, you know, listening to the podcast, all that stuff. I mean, it has, you know, it may not uh, equate to, you know, a tangible, you know, I've, I've upskilled myself, but uh, in, in one way, shape or form, but at least being comfortable, you know, going out in the community and, and, and talking with people and getting to know people and understanding, you know, where they're coming from and, and what they're doing and, you know, who they're working for and, and, and just being connected more, um, is, has really been valuable for me. And in my experience, I can't say that it's gone and gotten me a job yet, but I I could definitely see that in the future as, as being something, you know, that I can leverage as, as, uh, you know, 
on a resume to go mm-hmm. go say, hey, I've been part of uh, you know these tech field days. You you can go watch you know the interviews, or I've appeared on a couple episodes of Packet Pushers. That looks interesting to employers. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to set yourself apart in a market where you know there's two jobs and you know t- seven people are applying. You set yourself apart. You know, you all yeah. have a CCMP. So, all right, you know, whatever. What do you have that's different than the others? So that's that's a really good point. Yeah, that is a really good one. That's one that I like to stress to a lot of um, my peers in the area here. Is you know, yeah, you have a blog or you have social media. You know, and the the kickback is yeah, but there's like three people that follow me or watch my. Med- <laughs> or look at my blog and it's like, who I'm one of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> if it's the right three people, my response is who cares, you know, because when, when push comes to shove and someone is looking at your resume compared to everybody else's, all those bullet points on the resume don't stand out. But if you can point them to a blog and show them how you can dig into a specific technology or you can take something and abstract a layer of it and apply it to a management term or whatever the solution is. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, this stands out. This person shows that he can intelligently work with this type of stuff. And I think that helps tremendously. I, I think the blogging and the being invited to places at someone else's expense actually shows that you have communication skills and management skills. And that's what's attractive. In small towns, you're quite often faced with managers who are actually very poor technical competence. And they would look at that as somebody who's like, uh, aside from the woo-woo factor, and I do think you're all doing yourselves a disservice. You are all good-looking, fine, upstanding young people. Oh, but, I agree. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that in small towns there, often those people who are leaders are not leaders who see a big picture. They're leaders who see a small picture, and they're often small-minded people, and they'll see you as something quite outstanding because you've managed to project yourself on a global stage and that is the underlying message behind that is you can put yourself out there you're showing your chops to people in public and you've received some sort of like a certificate is just a certificate a qualification to me is like a learner's license by the time you've actually done a some sort of professional level course mid-level course you're not actually ready to be to go onto a live network to me you're like okay now we can have a talk about what we can do to turn you into a grown-up because now you've got the basic competency it's a bit like a high you don't leave high school ready to leap into action but when you pass your certification for whoever it is that you want you then have to say well now i have to turn that into workable knowledge and i think Blogging and and speaking and podcasting is all part of that process, yep. and also shows the emotional intelligence and the the ability to to communicate. Yeah, and I'd just like to add a little bit to that. Is uh, in in my job today, I do very little operational tasks. I do a lot of consulting within the business group, so I'm often meeting with leaders that are you know looking to build new capabilities within our plants or, you know, within the businesses. So being able to relate, uh, you know, a technology to like a business outcome is really important for me. Like I, the, the people that I talk to don't care, you know, why we chose OSPF over EIGRP. What they care is what that means for them, you know, are they more productive? So being able to socialize some of these technology ideas, you know, uh, has has really become you know is 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 almost more important than the CCNP certification tests uh, at this point in my career. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's that's a good point, Eric. Because I mean, I don't think any of us are here, and any of us here are entry level, right? We've already we have some network battle scars under our belt, 
Um, I know that when I took my new position, uh, you know, I'm in talking to my, my boss about professional development goals. He just said very, very flat out. And he's a CCIE. He said, I don't, I don't care about CCIE. You don't, I, I don't think you should make that your goal. But he did, however, look at some of the podcasts I've done, read some of my blog posts, and that's where he saw some value. And I wanted to throw out there from a practical perspective, just kind of bring it back to the concept of growing your networking career. Uh, you know, being out there in the community has resulted in, you know, opportunities to do more advanced projects for me and getting my hands on emerging technology. Um, and it has allowed me to earn more money, um, kind of like, so where I am, I, I don't know, you know, how my company uh, identifies the Albany area. We, we call it the U UNY, the upstate New York region. But there's a cost of living adjustment if you live in the downstate New York, in, in other words, the New York City metro area. Well, I want that money. I want that adjustment for me. <laughs> so how do I get it living where I live? And I don't want to move there because it's a billion dollars a month for an apartment. So, uh, you know, doing what I do in, so, in the social media and blogging, blogosphere and all that has allowed me to both uh, in, add to my income, supplement to my income by writing on the side, which has sort of brought me up to that level. And it has also allowed me to get those jobs that pay more and then and be able to justify it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So I want to actually bring this conversation back to some of the location-based challenges or issues that we started talking about. Uh, it, it sounds like a couple of you guys, or at least Eric, is doing a serious commute. Yeah. So it's it's a mix for me, but uh, for the most part, I do commute. Uh, seventy. It's about 75 miles per day. But uh, the one really great thing is my employer is is really flexible with me. So if I need to work from home, I have the capabilities to do whatever I do at my desk from home. Uh, kind of going back to what I said, and hopefully it is back and not edited in the future. But uh, going back to what I said about being uh, kind of consulting with uh, our businesses, within our businesses, it's important for me to have FaceTime with some of the leaders uh, around our businesses. And it actually, there, it's, it's a bit of an investment uh, and there's good returns on that investment in getting FaceTime with people because then they recognize you, they value your opinion when they can sit in the same conference room with you and see your facial expressions, whether you're lying or not. Um, but um, but my, my employer is is really forward thinking in terms of how kind of the next generation of workers are going to work. So we you know we have the capability to work from home. My team is global, so um, you know I'm I often am working with folks in China and Asia Pacific and in the EU. So you know we really have to be flexible in in how we work. And you know sitting at the office is is primarily what I do, but um, you know, I do There's flexibility. Yeah, there, there is flexibility for sure. We pause our podcast discussion for a word from IT Pro TV. They are flexible online technical training and are offering a free membership so you can try them out and expand your IT career. Try IT Pro TV out and access 65 plus hours of IT training, including Microsoft and CompTIA courses at no cost and no credit card required. Training helps you take advantage of the career paths available in IT. A recent MIT study shows that IT occupations have grown by nearly 20% between 2004 and 2017, and that's more than eight times the growth rate of other career paths. Earnings are growing for folks in IT as well, even though earnings are flat for college grads on the average. IT Pro TV can help you take advantage of these trends with courses covering CompTIA, Cisco, EC Council, VMware, and more. There are over 4,000 hours of binge-worthy, on-demand training presented by engaging hosts that use a talk show-like format. 
and they are live every day. Content goes studio to web in 24 hours. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. You can find exactly what you're looking for easily. You can also stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on demand worldwide via Chromecast and Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, on your PC or your phone. No matter where you're at, you can learn your stuff, you can pass your exams, you can earn your certs, and then land your next great job with the help of IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers for over 65 hours of IT training for free. That is itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. One more time, itpro.tv slash packet hyphen pushers. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to the show. Ethan, you said if you wanted to do IT work, you'd be on the road. You'd have to be in the car. For me, yeah, that's and, and historically that was just the, kind of the nature of the some of the businesses that I worked with. I would just have to commute. So, Phil, you mentioned state government earlier. That was about a half hour commute for me during the years that I worked for state government. They kind of needed you there. Remote work wasn't much of an uh, opportunity as it happened in that particular environment. Uh, I worked for a financial services company that was an hour <laughs> with traffic, more than an hour away. <laughs> And they needed you on site, period. Remote work was not an option whatsoever. Now, some other companies, I could at least do remote work part-time. And yet another company, I did remote work almost the whole time. It was in Ohio while I was in New Hampshire, and I only had to do quarterly visits. So, I mean, it is company-dependent, I guess, but I've just found that it's not a given that you're going to be able to work remotely uh, just because. Some some companies are increasingly open to that because they're looking for talent, and so they'll make the accommodation for you to work from far away. And of course, you know, video conferencing makes that easier. But uh, it, again, it's still not a given. And I've spent an awful lot of time in cars over the years just to get to where the work was because they needed me physically in the office. And Ryan, I think I'm assuming you're the opposite. You are telecommuting. 100% work from home. Myself, I, I don't do too, too much travel, but, you know, probably once a month, maybe once every other month I go places. Um, sometimes I go as long as six months without going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's, that is more the exception. Yeah. So how do you stay plugged in and feel like you're part of the team, you're contributing and that folks know you still exist? So it's, it's, it's always been a, a, a big priority for our company. Um, we are a global company and we always really have been. Our, our team has been very distributed. And so, you know, I have teammates in over in Russia, I have teammates in New York, I have teammates in California, over in um, Colorado, all over the place. So we've just naturally been that way from the get-go. So Slack, you know, the Google Hangouts tools, things like that have been critical for, you know, our success. Uh, Do you do video calls? Myself, I'm not one of those where it's like, you know, jump on and make sure your camera's on at all times. I don't think that's a necessity. You know, sometimes when it's like, yeah, I do want to, I will. But most of the time, people probably don't want to be staring at my ugly mug. So, I think engineering, I call it, which is you know, the opposite of an engineer is an engineer. So, because <laughs> you're working remotely, I, I think the secret to engineer is when you work in a team of engineers. That is, if you could find a job where everybody on the team is working remotely, then that becomes the normal. And increasingly, the big companies realize that people who uh, live and work in those smaller towns are the people who have those jobs or want the the jobs. So I think that businesses are changing to accept people working remotely, unlike what we saw, you know, in years gone by. Yeah. And I I agree with that completely. And I think it's doing nothing but benefiting those in a small town. 
um, and the small cities because it opens up the the global market for opportunities. It's just finding them out there. And the same thing kind of like Phil was hinting at, you know, if, if you can go out and you can win, you know, a salary that's, you know, based out of California while living in, you know, rural Texas, you know, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And that's yeah, real so, life because I go yeah. to work to pay my mortgage and feed my kids uh, when it comes down to it. You know, I, I love what I do and don't want to do anything else. But my main goal is, is to pay that mortgage every month and make sure that, uh, that it's taken care of. And, you know, and, and I found that because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm over 40 now and, and I have uh, I've worked hard to get to a sort of seniorish position. And there were some you know, travel stumbling blocks uh, on the road to get there. Uh, living where I live um, meant I would a ton of windshield time in order to drive to you know, everywhere, wherever, whatever customer it was, uh, you know, the, the distance between exits on the New York state Thruway sometimes is 20 miles, you know, right. just right. for one exit. Right. But the opportunities did arise from time to time where a very large VAR uh, would get in touch with me, a, you know, national or international VAR and say, you live near, close enough to an airport. You're good. Would you like to work with us? We're going to pay you this gobs of money, but you're going to leave Sunday night and get back Friday night. And I couldn't do it because of my family. And, you know, that, that's, that's just not going to jive with my life. You know, one, one solution to how you grow your networking career in a small city is travel. Uh, you know, we've been saying it as a negative, like, how do we avoid it? But if you're willing to, that, that's a, you can stay in little old Albany and fly to wherever you need to fly. But what do you do if it's not an option? I guess that's the next question. That's where I feel you're, you know, you're starting to look at what is the opportunities locally? What can you do? And then, you know, finding those global companies. One, one thing that's a good example around here in the Amarillo area is, you know, this, this is basically a large, flat, dead area of land. And mm-hmm. it goes on forever, you know, and it's the same terrain. And, but everybody in all these little farm towns is very dispersed and spread out. And you got a lot of cattle industry around here, too. And so one of the things that's really popping up around this area is Wi-Fi is becoming critical especially as more and more things get connected and more and more of these businesses come online. So there's a big need for wireless infrastructure around here. So those that can manage that type of infrastructure or handle that type of work, that's an area you can dig into. And so it's, I think it's also with the smaller town, it's, it's becoming critical of understanding what is the industry around you? Mm-hmm. What are the opportunities and how can I get involved in those? And do I want to? Right. So if you had thought you'd be working in a big shiny office, but there's an opportunity to work in industrial agriculture, you know, helping run their automation systems or their wireless systems is because they've got, you know, internet connected cows or whatever. These are opportunities you may not have considered, but could be there because just because of your region where you are. Exactly. Interconnected cows. Is that what you said? That's what I said. Yes. All right. All right. IP, IPv6. Definitely though, but (laughs) I don't have room for IPv4. What is that? (laughs) IOC internet of cows. Internet of cows. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to share one experience and it kind of relates to travel is I I actually did have an IT job in my hometown, which is like 10,000 people. uh, And I worked at the plant, uh, the the largest uh, manufacturing or largest employer in my town. And I was the like sole IT guy. And I worked there for less than two years. And I found that at the end, I was I was driving myself crazy because I was stuck in my town 24/7 365. I was not exposed to any culture. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, the same two fast food restaurants every day or, you know, or I'd go home and take a nap on my couch. I was I just felt sheltered from everyone else. 
And, you know, that was, it was, it, you know, that wasn't pre Twitter, but, you know, I would, I was in a town of 10,000 people and there may, may have been five IT people in the whole town. So, and that was one of the decision factors why I ended up leaving that job was, it was just, I was tired of being stuck where I lived all the time. So. And you also feel like a freak sometimes because you're you're just so different to everybody else. That is, it's a hundred percent true. You know, every, you know, there's a lot of people in my town that uh, are, are, you know, either work in a factory or work on a farm. And I am just this unicorn that works in IT <laughs> and I, you know, I drive a fuel efficient car. So I'm different <laughs> than everyone else. <laughs> So here's my admission. When I first started in technology and became uh, was working in computers, as it was called back then, and now it's called IT, when I went out to the local nightclub in my town and, you know, would be chatting with young women in the, in the hopes of, you know, finding an emotional attachment, I would never tell them that I was a computer person because that would just instantly put me on the outside. I used to tell them that I was a condom tester. And then <laughs> I worked in a factory testing because it was way more interesting and, and conversation provoking. I mean, it really was an issue. So I, I do sympathize with you. You know, you do feel like a, uh, you know, like a pimple on the ass of a small town sometimes when you're actually somebody who's got a brain and, and willing to think about a future that's, that's bigger than the, than the, than the city limits. Well, that's not to say that there's people that, that everybody in a small town doesn't have a brain, right? You know, no. we're all in relatively small towns and I think we have brains, but I, I think I have an interesting perspective because I grew up about half an hour from Midtown Manhattan and my family is still down there in Staten Island along the South Shore Island. And I'm there all the time. It's a two hour train ride for me to get to Manhattan, but I, where I live is just far enough away where we're not part of that metro area. We're our own thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I've lived here for about 20 years. So I, I've seen both and, and there are upsides uh, to living in a smaller community. So yeah, you know, it, maybe there's a little bit of element of being sheltered and things like that for sure. But there are some upsides I think we can we can cover too. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to bring the conversation back to. What the the benefits of working in a smaller community? One I think is probably cost of living. It's going to be a lot better in Albany than it is in San Francisco. Yeah, so the house price itself, but listen, we still have New York state taxes. So I, if you want to start <laughs> complaining, I have another show notes list here about just that. <laughs> But you are correct. Um, you know, the, and I'm not, I don't know San Francisco as well, but I know the New York City Metro, Westchester, Long Island uh, house prices, and it's about double, uh, maybe two and a half times for the same house. So when my friends that still live down there come up to visit, they are enamored that I have the house that I have, and I have an old split level from the 70s. So mm-hmm. it's not a fancy house. So you're correct. Now, if you can couple that cost of living, you know, that lower cost of living with Doing all the things that we just discussed as far as getting out there in the community, uh, utilizing online resources so you can advance your career beyond the scope of what would normally be available in your area, that is a win-win. Am I right? I mean, that yes. you have the lower cost of living, like Ryan was talking about in Amarillo, and then the potential for the increased salary, that's, that's fantastic. And that's why, one of the reasons I'm, I'm motivated to do what I do. And Ethan, so talking about quality of life, you like to hike. You want to be up in the mountains. Yeah. Is that why you are where you are? Oh yeah, very much. Um, you know, family, um, you know, personal attachments are you know more in this rural area, and then quality of life for me means getting outdoors on the weekends, and that's just—it's not impossible to do when you you know, live in a city. You can still drive, and lots of people do that. They leave the city for the weekend and just you know drive two, three, four hours to get to wherever they want to be. It's practically in my backyard, and and I love that. That's very valuable to me to be able to escape into the wilderness and uh, reduce my 
uh, my screen time and my attachment to, te- to technology. Not that I don't have any technology, because I'll, I'll be the first guy to admit that I got the GPS with me and so on when I go out in the woods. But but still, you know, that quality of life is enhanced for me when I have the ability to do a, a, a detachment and have it not be a big thing. Just throw some stuff in the back of the car and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carrying that 50-pound backpack, Ethan, is part of your workout routine. <laughs> You know, I try to go light, but uh, but yeah, carrying a big pack is uh, is part of the magic. How I stay so so thin. Oh wait, that's that's a different me. The me I wish I was. Yeah. So Ethan, I live about half an hour from the Adirondacks, and I think I've been there once to stop at a rest stop to use the bathroom. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually experienced great scenery. Great scenery. Great scenery. The Adirondacks. Lots of bears. I think another another bigger advantage, um, which which could actually be a double edged sword, depending is, you know, everybody knows everybody here, mm-hmm. not just the small niche group of IT people. Everybody knows everybody. So if, you, if you're a hustler and you're a go-getter and you really push yourself and you, you earn your respect, everybody in town will know that. And it's not hard to propagate. That. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, if you're horrible at what you do and you slack off and you skip work, everybody in town will know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of people to hide behind is what you're saying. No. No. And that can be a problem because if you do make a mistake, it stands out. Or if you, you know, if you develop a reputation as somebody who's having, you know, it's very easy to come to work in a small town and feel like you own it or take too much responsibility or your personal attitude gets out of kilter with the reality of, you know, you're just a cog in a corporate machine, small company, big company. Um, and make a mistake and then you know your ability to recover from that mistake when there's only a half a dozen employees in the town is a real issue and you know uh, I went through a period of commuting anywhere from two to six hours I'd get on a plane and commute to the where I was going to work in in Australia I'd fly from Brisbane to Sydney or Melbourne or Adelaide or Perth and work and I ended up with a whole range of different activities going on it was quite a strange life it is very difficult when you can't find a, a place to stay, but things are very different now because you've got, you can get textbooks online, you can train online, you can retrain and adapt online. One of the things I, I didn't hear anybody talk about is when you work in a smaller town or a smaller business, you tend to be a bit of everything. You're not just a networking person. Mm-hmm. Quite often, doing servers and storage and do some operating systems if you felt like it, and you know you can wind up the monitoring platform all on your own and spend like two years writing code, you know, if you felt like it. Have you found the, that having that broader experience is worthwhile? Yes. Yeah, I, I started out in, in the public school district in K-12 doing exactly what you described. I was mm-hmm. the generalist for a school district. You know, I handled SQL, SQL Server that ran the, uh, the lunch payment system. I uh, worked on, you know, writing PHP and whatnot for the for the school website and also you know was it, during the summer breaks mounting smart boards in the classroom so mm-hmm. you know it, you can never get tired of the variety of things you come across but, but it, especially where where I was located you know those public the the public jobs don't pay nearly as well as what the private industry does so you know, that was kind of a, a realization for me is you know uh, if I wanted to keep, you know, paying the bills, you know, something would have to change. But I think the upside it, was you got to be that, uh, I hate to use the phrase, but sort of a full stack person. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the jobs that I see around here, when the IT teams are hiring, 
you know, they're, they're small, small teams and they need everybody to wear multiple hats. And it's hard for them to justify hiring somebody who is a full blown route switch engineer, but doesn't know anything else, but they can design a WAN like nobody's business. That only solves one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And just like the larger, you know, discussion of, you know, all the lines and all the silos are starting to blur between all the industries anyways, you need to know a little bit of everything. You're way more marketable walking into a shop being like, Hey, I know how to integrate your virtual environment with your network infrastructure with the cloud. And I know how to make all this work together, or at least understand how to get started with that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's huge. And especially with these smaller teams that need to wear multiple hats. So one other thing I wanted to, we touched on this a little bit, Phil, you mentioned, you know, if you're in a small community, you're not going to be heading to a boss nog or a Chinog, but what about building something on your own? Is that feasible? Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. And you keep trying until it works. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've tried that and uh, we had a very, very small turnout. Um, I have a friend of mine who just moved from the Boston area to my area and he's, I think he's let's go now. So he's trying the same thing. And you know, what's that old thing from Will Smith, Fresh Prince, you dribble and you shoot, right? Sometimes it goes, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. You just keep trying. So building a local community, I think is um, uh, a really good thing if you're willing to commit to it. So, you know, don't set up, we're going to do Tuesday nights and then you don't show up. Um, but certainly I think that's, that's a great first step. And, uh, and then, and f people will come out of the woodwork in time. At least that's the plan. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, that's something that I've been really trying to push around here for a while. Um, and push is probably kind of the wrong term because I've, I've learned with the smaller cities, you know, you don't get the turnout, like Phil said, and you don't get the number and frequency of meetings like other places do. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you might only have a handful of people that are passionate about coming out and attending. And that might not be every single month. That might not be every single quarter. Um, that's kind of the, the thing that I have with my local group now is we really haven't even met within the past six months because, A, no one really has the time to put together content right now. And B, everybody's just so slammed and going in different directions. And so it's like, okay, well, let's back off. We have our Slack channel. We, you know, we communicate there. Um, but I, I think this type of stuff is very important because – for the kids that are coming out of high school and going into college and those that are coming out of college and going into their career, they got to understand there is more than just what's in their local city. And they got to start building this stuff now. And that's where we need to step in as the senior engineers and um, IT professionals is not just pass on the knowledge about how you do your job day to day, but help them learn how to build their career. And I think that's a very important piece to it all. Yeah. And in reality, I mean, it just doesn't end when you graduate or from college or it doesn't end when you get your, your NP or your IE or whatever certification, it doesn't end there. You got to, you got to keep growing and keep learning, whether that's, you know, building your community, whether it's adding, you know, uh, soft skills or adding hard skills, like, you know, uh, the automation, automation pieces. I mean, you, you just can't stop once you've hit one milestone. Right. It's a lifelong process. And, and that's hard for some people. Um, especially when, once you reach some financial goal or career goal, it's easy to get into cruise control. I've, I've dealt with that in my own life. But one thing that I, I truly believe is that if you want to succeed, um, if you want to continue to grow your career in whatever capacity, uh, not just money or, or the specific job title, 
you need to own that and internalize that in such a way where you uh, have developed the discipline and you have some sort of motivation mixed in there that you can continue on day to day and continue to crank out those those labs or study or be persistent with reaching out to people to create that local group. Um, but nobody's going to do that for you. And so I, I really believe that if you're in a small city, you know, you, you have uh, fewer options. You have to put in that extra effort. It's just what it is. You know, I, I know, um, you know, if we're, if you're in some areas, Los Angeles, New York City, it might be flush with jobs and, and we just don't have that option in smaller areas. So you have to go the extra mile. That's just what I, what it is. All right. Well, folks, thank you for coming on to share your experiences with us. I think this was a good conversation. We talked a lot about social. So this is your opportunity to plug all the fabulous things you're doing on social. Phil, uh, where can folks find you? Sure. So folks can find me on Twitter, network underscore Phil, and my blog is networkphil.com. Hey, Ryan, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, that one guy underscore 15. Um, various other places on social media is that one guy 15. Um, have some stuff up on GitHub too. Um, some there. Yeah, for the most part, that's where you grab me. Okay, and Eric? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eric underscore Stover, and I blog occasionally over at 12fs.wordpress.com. All right, we'll have all those links in the show notes. Guys, thank you very much for being on today's show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you visit packetpushers.net, you'll discover over a 1,000 other episodes across our podcast network for networking and infrastructure professionals, along with our community blog and news feeds. Tweet at Packetpushers. You can follow us on LinkedIn, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net. Last but not least, remember that no matter where you live, too much networking would never be enough.